Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to your second The Real Forno Show of the week here live on the Vikings First in School YouTube channel. I'm Eros Tyler Fornis. We're going to talk about a few things today. There's been a lot of discussion about quarterbacks. What happens if the Vikings don't get a quarterback at the top of the draft and they take one in the middle rounds? We're going to talk about those guys today. We're also going to talk about my mock draft that released this morning on vikingswire.com. And it has the Vikings making a huge move to go get that quarterback. So it's kind of a dichotomy here. But we're going to have a little fun here on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Welcome to The Real Forno Show. Welcome to The Real Forno Show. Managing editor of the USA Today's Vikings Wire. Betting and college football analysis for the Fantasy Points website. Publisher of Substack Run and Shooter, host of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungry on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, as well as a founding member of Vikings First and Skull. I think what's really cool about this, Dave, is the Vikings could very easily go get their quarterback of the future. And I think that's it's a very – it's. The NFL draft itself is all about hope, right? Um, as we have Jason, Doug, Mary, and Anthony in the chat, welcome aboard, everybody. We're, we're glad to have you here on this beautiful Wednesday. Um, what's really fascinating is they could go a myriad of options. They could uh, get a guy in the first round either by staying at 23 or trading up, or they could target a mid-round quarterback. And that those are the guys we're going to really focus on today. Um, I know, Dave, you and I were talking about Hendon Hooker earlier today about uh, what he is and where he could potentially go. Um, and did you have a chance to look at that tape yet, or are you? did you no. have too much going on? No, that that is scheduled for tonight. I will turn it on. It's usually when my brain starts to shut down about 10 o'clock. I'm working on artwork, and I'll turn it on and check it out and look up and look down and look up and look down, and we'll see how it goes. But I am curious to see how he plays. Yeah, I'm very curious, too, um, to hear your thoughts because, obviously, we're uh, we're two different people. And everybody knows my thoughts on Hooker. I, I don't see it. We had Doug Farrar, the managing editor of Touchdown Wire, on the show last week to talk about it because he wrote a very contradictory piece to the one I did for zone coverage where he talked about how the offense itself is not a bad thing as far as translating to the next level. Um, I think Doug is an incredibly smart guy and quite frankly, smarter than me. I don't completely agree with all of them, but I can at least see his vision. I can understand the vision and where he's coming from. And I think uh, that makes a lot of sense. Stampede in the chat. Welcome. Um, I, I'm just going to spend the next half hour hating on Will Levis just for you. And I hope that's okay. Um, no, well, I, Quentin Johnson's a developmental quarterback now. Um, he, he's, a, he's a wide receiver. Um I, I, I like the gusto, though. I really do. But when it comes to Hooker, I want to see – yes, he's old. He played in a system that doesn't translate, but I'm going to look for traits. Does he make his reads? Can he move in the pocket? Can he feel pressure? Uh, does he throw in the right areas? He's throwing – is he reading the defense? Uh, it should be obvious. Um, one of the things, does he have eye discipline? Is he staring down his receivers or is he looking off and uh, getting safeties to move on what he does? And if it doesn't show up on tape, 
not a chance. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's that's what is really fascinating. Um, Hooker, if he was healthy, I think he'd be able to answer a lot of the questions that you have about him a little more. Um, but most of the questions you have with him are mental. Um, outside of that knee injury, it's can you do X, Y, and Z in a pro style system? And I, th- I think what's curious is you don't have to be able to do full field reads right away. You need to be able to do them eventually. Jalen Hurts mostly half field reads. He can now do full field. Heck, it's Dante Culpepper started half mm-hmm. field reads, mm-hmm. and. You can do a lot with half-field reads initially while you continue to build the profile. And something I've talked about with Quentin Johnston, you focus on a couple things he's really good at. Once you get past what he's really good at, you can continue to develop those other things. He has a path for success right away with a path of even greater success down the line. Um, it's I think it really accentuates some of those things, Dave. And you don't have to be great at everything right away. I need to see a path. I don't have a path for Hennon Hooker um, to be able to do full field reads. I haven't seen enough of Hennon Hooker to believe he's going to be great at full field reads or can do them because I haven't seen it. And I haven't seen enough. Doug Farrar disagrees with me. I respect that. I don't agree with that. And I think that's where we can draw the line there. Um, Doug talks about being tired trading back. I, I find that interesting. Um, I don't disagree with you, but I think it's all about context, right? I don't want to trade back like Rick Spielman did when he ended up taking Alexander Madison with the last pick of the third round. Don't just trade back. Oh, I want a couple more seventh round picks and I want to pick 15 times. No, don't do that. Um, but yeah, why are trade you back, back to get guys you're going to cut anyways? No, that's a waste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I, I like the idea at a certain point you like if you have so many depth issues that you take like seven, eight picks on day three, because you can basically fill out a special teams roster with potential to uh, hit the jackpot on one, maybe two of those guys. And jackpot meaning starter. If you can get two or three starters on a day three, that's a home run draft. That's a grand slam. And I think there's merit in doing that every once in a while, especially with how much turnover the Vikings had going from 2019 to 2020. Okay. Once in a while, yeah. But then you need to start collecting some of your assets and then using them to move up for single players because you don't have a lot of holes on your roster as far as I need to fill X, Y, and Z on my 53-man roster. So I think there's there's a way to balance it, Doug, and I don't think there's necessarily a surefire you have to do this instead of that. But I will say I like the idea a lot of trading back for a purpose not just trading back to trade back. It all depends on what's available and what you're getting in return. So understand the sentiment, but let's let's see where it goes. Uh, f- preparing for this show, I looked at Dane Brugler's uh, draft guide. Oh, the beast. I love the beast. He has Hooker going in the second round. Yeah, and I th- I think well now hold on you th- he has Hooker ranked as a second round prospect graded or as a going round. In- okay um, Stampede we're gonna get to that let's uh, let's we're gonna continue this conversation I promise we will get there okay um, yeah I think 
a second round grade is fair for Hooker. I gave him a high three, and I have four quarterbacks with high third round grades. And we're going to talk about uh, all of them today. Which is um, more than I thought you would. And if the viewers are curious who those are, this is Tyler's grading chart. Just to let you know where he figures out where everybody is supposed to be. When he does his grading, he gives them points, values for different categories, and then adds them up and it drops them there. When it comes to his QB board of tape he's watched so far, we have this. C.J. Stroud, number one. Anthony Richardson, number two. Bryce Young, third. All with that mid to lower first round grades. Then comes Will Levis at four. Hendon Hooker at five. Jaron Hall, six. Dorian Thompson Robinson, seven. And Clayton Toon at eight. We will be discussing tonight Hall, DTR, Clayton Toon, plus a couple of others. For your viewing and listening pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. So if you ever want to read any of my scouting reports, the easiest way to do that is to go to my Twitter profile. And my pinned tweet is my database, my Google Sheet. It's uh, available for everybody to view. And you can just click it. And it'll show you how I have everybody ranked overall. It will show you how I have everybody ranked by position group. And it will be hyperlinked right to the scouting report of the player. So you'll be able to go check out everybody I've scouted so far. Currently, I'm working on Jaden Reed, the um, wide what's called the wide receiver from Michigan State. I recommend that you go check out everything I've done. There's 60 so far. Not only am I watching all these players and doing all the work for Vikings Wire, and I've got even more cool stuff coming down the pipeline, both for Vikings first and school and elsewhere. Um, Dave, I'm going to let you pick because we're going to talk about five quarterbacks tonight. I'm going to let you pick where we start. We are going to talk about Jaron Hall, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Clayton Toon, Tanner McKee, and Aiden O'Connell. And, Anthony, I see you're asking me DTR over Stetson Bennett. I don't think Stetson Bennett's a quarterback at the next level. I think he's probably better off with a position change. He's a shockingly good athlete. I think he'd be a nice little slot receiver. Um, I, I don't see it with Bennett. I really don't. He is a he's the guy that you see on billboards in Athens, Georgia, in ten years selling cars at a Chevy dealership and saying two-time national champion Stetson Bennett. That's that guy. <laughs> well, you had Tanner McKee at the top of the list. Let's start with Tanner. Okay, so if you remember Davis Mills coming out a few years ago, um, he went 67th overall to the Houston Texans 2021. There are a lot of similarities between these two guys. And the lazy comp for Tanner McKee is Davis Mills. Tall, lanky, accurate, pocket passer specific. But he's really not anything more than that. He is a stand-in-the-pocket guy. He can do a little bit with his legs. You don't want him doing things with his legs. You just don't. And there's nothing wrong with that, Dave. He is what he is. He is a fine pocket passer. I'll say this much. I don't think 
it's necessarily fair to him with his eval. Dave, his eval is hard because Stanford fucking sucks. They are atrocious. They're not just a, a bad with talent. Their scheme is so outdated. It does not use space well at all in terms of what college football is. College football, the hash marks are twice as wide. So you can use spacing to your advantage like crazy with consistency. Stanford doesn't do that. They want to run the ball down your throat. A lot of pro-style concepts. But even with pro-style concepts, you see teams like BYU. They use a lot of pro-style concepts with, with a lot of their spread stuff. But they space it out way better. And they take advantage of what you're given within the contents of college football. Stanford doesn't yeah, do you that. Have a, because the, yard, the hashes are wider, you have a wide side of the field and a short side of the field. And you could use that wide side better to spread out coverages, create bigger holes to send receivers to. It, it is an mm-hmm. advantage. Uh, some players have a hard time adjusting to that when it comes on the mm-hmm. offensive side or the defensive side, for that matter, when they hit the mm-hmm. NFL and everything's compressed to the middle 10 yards because there isn't that much room. Mm-hmm. The only way to spread in the, in the NFL is so, sometimes wider alignments and – Good offensive lines, we're getting my expertise, will do that sometimes. They'll take advantage of it, and they'll sneak their splits out a little bit further to see if the defense will come with them. That helps a running offense quite a bit if it's a a man-on type deal because it widens the holes just a little bit. Uh, They also use it. You'll see Kevin O'Connell using to widen things out. He'll put people in motion, and it's usually as an indicator or to move – somebody so there's a huge difference between that and then being parked way over here to start your play and having all this room you know to plan a play like in college yeah um i that's part of the reason why is uh eval is so difficult dave when i look at tanner mckee i think he is a mid-round guy you he can run a quick game but when the pocket collapses on him, what is he going to do? He's going to struggle. He's going to struggle quite a bit. And I think there is potential there. There's potential to grow, especially if you give him talent. If you give him talent, Dave, maybe there's something there. And that's the intrigue with Tanner McKee. Um, Mike Renner from PFF in one of his first mocks of the calendar year gave Tanner McKee to the Minnesota Vikings at pick 23. 23? I didn't like that at all. Um, PFF is significantly higher on McKee than, than everybody else. Now, what does that tell you? It tells you that they're looking at some kind of analytical advantage, right? Because that would be the first thing that pops into my head. So kind of took a look. Like, I'm not a big Tanner McKee guy. I have not, in all fairness, studied his all 22 yet. And I'm hoping to have an opportunity to do so. But I'm out. I, I just... In this day and age, unless you are like I thought, Carson Strong was more of a transcendent arm talent last year. There were outside factors that kept him out of the league, and I I understand that. We were told multiple things about his knee, a lot right, a lot wrong. That whether it was good, whether it was bad, we had some very weird information coming out about that, and then there were some personality issues with him. None of it was arm talent. And I think that's that's the really tough part about the Carson Strong evaluation. 
at, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a miss for me. I'm not going to parse my words about that, but understanding the why behind your misses can help you grow. Like I just, I don't think he has the type of arm talent and, and elite decision-making to be able to overcome some of those issues with mobility. And to me, that's the difference. Well, and uh, is there a place for the pure pocket passer in today's NFL? Answers. Yes. Yeah. Um, but they seem to be moving away from it a little bit. And with the pure pocket passer, you hope he has awareness, pocket awareness. That's a, um, The GOAT, Tom Brady, that's his best feature, is he knows how to use just slight movement to his advantage, whether it be with his blocking or to move out of the way of an oncoming rush. And... Uh, because he's always been a pocket passer. He wasn't uh, considered a mobile quarterback, even though he could run mm-hmm. on occasion. But is can you do that in today's NFL? Yes. Kirk Cousins is that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Brugler has him graded as a fifth rounder and comps him to Mike Glennon. I think Glennon is... Uh... A good comp. Um, I'm as I'm, I'm looking at a um, a chat that I'm in, and they're, they're mentioning a couple things about the show. And I mentioned, oh, I love Christian Derrissaw throughout the draft, and like you also love Carson Strong, so that <laughs> evens out. I thought I really thought you'd appreciate that. Um, yeah, it's it's a very interesting. The Glennon comp, I think, works. I think they play a similar style of football. Um, yeah, it, it, that's that doesn't scream a guy you want as your developmental quarterback, right? That's the guy you want playing before your developmental quarterback gets in. Mm-hmm. It could be a guy that turns in a nice career as a clipboard holder. It's, but it's not the one that you're, to me, from the stuff I've read, he's not the one that you want to go, hey, we're rolling that dice. Is he going to take that 10% chance that he develops into – a comparable, competent starter someday. Mm-hmm. All, all the guys we're talking about today yeah. fall into that. You know, there's one out of what every decade, maybe two a decade, that can develop into something that's competent as a possible starter. And I'm not talking great. I'm talking competent. You know, get you a 500 type deal. Um, We'll find out. Kirk Cousins fell in that category. Yeah, he really did. Um, I am, I like, I'm fine taking him around four, but I'm not going to expect him to, you know, be anything more than that. And and he'll be the third QB on a roster at this case, and just basically redshirting it, developing. Especially you can hope for. Hopefully. Yeah, the best. The worst is Kirk Cousins gets hurt and then Mullins gets hurt and then oh shit. Yeah. Um we'll see. I, I, I think there are guys in this class that you can be excited about, Dave, when that potential happens. Let let's extrapolate. Cousins hurt, Mullins hurt. Oh, that'll never happen. Happened to the 49ers. They lost 
two quarterbacks to broken ankles. Like it, it's it's a possibility, and you have to think that way. This isn't 1995 where you're going to have three quarterbacks, and that third guy could be a Matt Hasselbeck, a Mark mm-hmm. Brunel, a Jay Fiedler, who ends up starting for another team for multiple seasons. Like the Vikings had Jay Fiedler, like they had him in '98, like. <laughs> That's something that you you need to be aware of and prepare for. So, like, let, let's start with the guy that's become very popular amongst uh, Vikings fans. Um, that is UCLA quarterback Dorian Thompson Robinson. Um, what do you know about DTR, Dave? Tall, lanky. Uh, has. Some plays, everybody thinks he's a first-rounder. Other plays, they don't even think he's draftable. Yeah, um, it's it's very weird. Hi, Odie. Oh, now you want to play. You didn't, you literally didn't want to play all day, buddy. And now you want. Now you have energy. You're such a little turkey. Yeah. Well, Dad can't play. He's doing a show. You're making you're making his live viewers be like, "What is going on?" Um. So Dorian Thompson Robinson, I think that's the best way to describe him. Inconsistent. Some plays he looks like a bona fide megastar. Some plays he looks like a bozo that should be playing in the USFL as a backup. It's consistency is by far his biggest issues. And Thadir says it right there. Fifth-year senior that still has issues. It's not just that he's a fifth-year senior, Thadir. It's He's a fifth-year senior that was a five-year starter. He started all five years. That's... That's a red flag right there. You still have these kind of issues. But he did show improvement. He has some bozo moments, and a lot of that has to do with disguising coverages pre-snap where he doesn't see, like, his biggest thing. Somebody pointed out to me, and I can't remember who it was, so if you're listening, let me know. I will gladly give you credit. It mentioned that post-snap, if a linebacker is, like, at the line of scrimmage and then they bail out in a zone, he misses that guy a lot. So I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Let me watch and let me see if I can find it. Oh, yep, that's definitely a thing. He was 100% right. And I that stuff I think you can fix in time, but he's 23. He's a five-year starter. You have a lot of reps. Like The whole you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Like The one thing that's really intriguing about a guy like Anthony Richardson, one-year starter, 13 total starts, and he's 20. You have a lot of time to uh, to be able to iron stuff out because there's not as much invested. One thing they talk about, like quarterback coaches, when you talk about changing your throwing motion, you throw like on a on an average day, like at practice. Sometimes you'll throw like 200 balls. Okay, so let's say you throw 200 balls a day, four days a week. That's 3,200 balls a month, about on average, right? You're throwing 3,200 passes a month. It takes around 10,000 throws to change the muscle memory for a new release. So there you're talking about three months of nonstop throwing you the new release to retrain your muscle memory, okay? It's a lot easier to do when you have less than 400 college attempts. When you're DTR and you throw them for 11,000 yards, Dave, that's that's significantly harder. And I think that's where some of the really frustration and hesitation with a, a DTR pick comes in. Because how can you expect him to grow in the areas that he's been deficient pretty much his entire career? How can you expect that to change now? And I I really don't have a good answer for that. 
I don't know. Uh, Brugler has him as a sixth or seventh rounder. Yeah. Into the sixth, early seventh. Okay. I I gave him a three. And a three to me in quarterback terms says, I think that this guy could potentially be a spot starter, maybe a little more, but most likely a capable backup. And I think DTR can be that because he's got the legs. Um, And you know what? I'll be honest. I don't know what Brugler thinks of a sixth-round pick at quarterback. I don't. Um, Because quarterbacks are way different than, like, a wide receiver. You're picking them them in round six for a different reason than you'd be picking a wide receiver. Like, it's it's just such a different world. And I think a third-round value at quarterback says, oh, maybe I can trust this guy to start a little bit. But can you trust this guy as your developmental option? Their drives where it's like, wow, I want to take this guy in round one, like we talked about earlier. And it's like, okay, this is why we're not talking about this guy because he's um, he's got what um, is commonly referred to in my circles as the bozo gene. <laughs> Remember Case Keenum? He had the bozo gene where, like, the Minneapolis Miracle, he was just calculated, cool, calm, collected. And then he throws that, that uh, absolute – like, like just lemon up to Stefan Diggs gets picked easy and they end up getting a touchdown out of it. That's the bozo gene. Like, it, DTR has the bozo gene. So how do you retcon that? How do you figure, okay, can we get this out of him? What can we do to fix it? What can we do to work around it? I don't know if he's ever going to be able to, to get to a point where you can trust him starting for multiple games or even be your guy. But there is obviously talent there. It's all vision. It's all processing. And in the end of the day, it's mental. Some guys can fix that. Some guys can drastically improve with that. Some guys can't. Right. In fact, I would, I would argue most guys can't. And when That's we why talk quarterback in- is so hard. When we talk mental, we're talking processing capabilities. You're taking the visual information that comes in your eyes, right? Which is not just what's straight ahead of you, but it's also in your peripherals, what's going on, right? You're taking that, you're turning that into, all right, what am I seeing? Even if it's out of the corner of your eye, do you see something flash open, a spot of green? And you know, because you've learned it, that you've got a wide wide receiver, tight end, whatever, that's going to be there, and you don't see any of the opposing colors, so you know that you can keep looking this way and then turn and throw, making the correct decisions. This also goes with when you drop back. Are you feeling guys coming in? Because it's hectic. Offensive line and defensive pass rush is just a melee of bodies slamming each other and trying to move each other around and everything's flying. You're trying to focus downfield while all this is happening, you know, anywhere from six feet, nine feet, up to three feet in front of you. Stay aside while you're still focusing, but looking enough to know that I need to move. And all that has to happen in your head and you've got to figure out how to do that. Some people just 
don't have that skill. It's a, it's a, yeah. Can you practice it? Yes. Can you work on it to make it a little bit better? Yes. But can you ever get as good as you need to be? A lot of people don't. It's hard. It is really hard it, it, in anything you do, right? That takes coordination and seeing and reacting. All that takes time because it takes time for you to see something and then react. I mean, it's maybe fractions of a second, but it takes time to do that. Whether you're fighting, mm -hmm. sparring, whatever, some guy's getting ready to throw a punch and you see that shoulder come up, you need to register. I just saw the shoulder move. I need to come up with a block, right? It's all that's got to be automatic. And to make it that way takes a while to do. You've got to be trained well. And you've got to have a natural talent for it. And whether he does or not, I I don't know. Um, it'd be a heck of a job by Coach O'Connell and our quarterback's coach if they could turn any one of these guys into that sort of person. But like I said, there is the off chance. It's like one mm -hmm. guy every decade that is, you know, below fourth round or lower that can turn into somebody. Yeah, I think so. And we'll see. Um, I It's so hard for me to believe that a guy like, and, and here's the tough part about this conversation, Dave, we talk about it being mental. Um, this doesn't mean the quarterback isn't smart. Right. Like, We're not talking about there's, there's brain a, smarts. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a complete difference between being smart and seeing well, like they're completely different things. And when we talk about, um, the mental aspect of the quarterback game, it's about identifying. It's about memorization. That part is intelligence, but almost every quarterback can do the, the memorization thing. That's not an issue. It's about being able to translate what you what you have in your brain to what you see on the field and be able to react to it. It's a completely different level, and that's why quarterback is so freaking hard and mm -hmm. why there are only like 10 quarterbacks that you desperately want your franchise to continue to re-sign year after year and why we've been having the same conversation for five years. Do we need to move on from Kirk Cousins? Like, mm -hmm. that's that's the difference. I'm trying to remember. There was a story of uh, somebody was evaluating a quarterback, and they brought him in, and they had him, you know, they gave him a playbook, and then the next day they brought him in and said, you know, do you remember the plays? Can you? And they gave him a series of plays, and he goes up and writes them on the board, knew exactly where everything's going. Right. Absolutely perfect. Knew all that stuff. Got it. Great. You know, and they're thinking, wow, we got somebody here. And then they even asked him, you know, hey, if you see this, 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 and, you know, and they place the defense and only this guy comes down and this guy do, does this, what's your read? And he answers that correctly. But then they got him on the field and then they tried to do it while he's actually moving and looking and he couldn't process it like he could in a classroom experience, right? Against, you know, writing it down on a blackboard or monitor or whatever it is now. And they couldn't do that. And it, it's it's frustrating because you think you got the guy because he's so knowledgeable, but it doesn't translate to his reaction time on the field. And it's and it's unfortunately a miss. Now, a lot of those guys mm -hmm go on to become great coaches. Hopefully Kevin O'Connell may be one of those that falls into that. So it is what it is. 
we're getting weather reports from our viewers. It's cooler down here in Texas today. At uh, We got up to 75. Mary says she's got to 91. And uh, Justin's at 89. Wow. We are at, I want to say uh, the high was supposed to be 81 here in the Minnesota. Um, it says it's 79 right now in Delano. Tomorrow is 83, Dave. It's going to be in the 80s this week. Like, this is, and then guess what? It's supposed to snow on Sunday with the high of 40. <laughs> you can't make up this shit. You just can't. All right, we have three more quarterbacks to get to, and then we're going to talk about my mock draft from earlier today that released on Vikewire.com. Let's talk about Ian O'Connell. Okay. Kind of a weak-armed guy. <clears throat> a distributor of the football. This is a the better version of Brock Purdy as far as arm talent. Right. Um, does not have the strongest arm, but can throw it accurately, makes good decisions, has a little bit of that bozo gene, um, <laughs> a.k.a. tong brain. Um, but at the end of the day, it's he's fine-ish. I just don't think he has any kind of plus trait that gives you hope that, hey, Maybe this guy can be something. And people are talking about him. I love Jake Hayner, and I've talked about him here before. I love Jake Hayner, and I would love for him to be good in the NFL. He, I just don't think he will be. I think he's Chase Daniel. He's going to be in the backup for 15, 20 years. He's going to make a lot of money being a backup hey. for 15 to 20 years. Nothing wrong with being Alex It's a, it's a great job if you can get it. <laughs> Nothing wrong with being Alex Moran. Um. Right up so, on O'Connell is uh, isn't a quick twit, twitch mover or thrower and is guilty of trying to get away with throws he knows he shouldn't make. There's your bozo, Gene. But he's still a strong-minded, accurate, touches, uh, accurate and touches on the ball at every le- level of the field. Could be a capable backup in the NFL, projected as a fourth-rounder. Yeah, I I don't want to take that. uh, With the position the Vikings are in, I'm not taking the guy in the fourth round to be my backup. I'm just not. I want want more. I want potential for more. Well, we're talking about developmental guys that could be the quarterback of the future. We're not talking about a guy that we're going to develop to be a clipboard holder. We have Mullins for that. We've got him cheap, Mm -hmm. right? Now, yeah, a rookie would be cheaper, but I'm going to trust Mullins a lot more because he's got game time experience and he has started and he can win at least half of them. You get a rookie for development. No, that's a luxury at that point. We need to be looking at quarterback of the future because Kirk Cousins will not be on this team when he's 70. Yeah, it's... It's tough, um, but yeah, I'm out on O'Connell. The two guys I really want to talk about that I think have the most intrigue of this group outside of Dorian Thompson-Robinson, let's start with Clayton Toon. Houston, very productive over the last two years. Um, 70 touchdowns, 20 interceptions in a very high-octane passing offense. They threw the ball a lot. They did not run the ball. Um, Really maximized Tank Dell's effectiveness. There was a game against SMU. It was like 77 to 63 at the end of it. That game was fun as hell to watch. Um, Tanner Mordecai from SVU had 10 touchdowns. Clayton Toon had seven. It was just incredible 
just no defense. They just went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Toon has a good arm. It's not great. He he understands how to get the ball down the field. He understands um, he can see the field relatively well. Um, he is a air raid run and shoot guy. He will make throws that his arm can't cash, and that's where he gets into trouble with some interceptions. I believe that you can kind of coach some of that out of him, especially if you put him in the right system. Thomas, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Um, but I think he doesn't have plus arm talent. He has good arm talent. He has Kirk Cousins level arm talent. It's fine, but you're not going to brag about it. You're not going to be excited about seeing Kirk Cousins chuck the ball all over the field. It's capable. And yeah, I would, I would, that's not, I, that's I think Kirk insult. has a good arm. Um, a yeah, very good but it's arm. nothing to brag about. It's, it's not throwing, it's fine. It's not throwing through brick walls and it's not throwing, you know, 70 yards down the field, but it's, yeah. it's a good arm. Toon can make the opposite um, hash out route. So can Kirk Cousins. Mm-hmm. But it's for them, they need a little bit better timing and they need to put all their, all their weight behind it. It's, it's a combination of things, Dave. It's not just um, being able to drop back and just throw a piss missile. It's, it's, it's tough. Um, would you so, say he's more? He's a more well. He may not be excel in, you know, everything you want a quarterback to do, but he's more well rounded, decent in almost everything. Not great, but yeah, I think well rounded. I think is an interesting one. I, it, he has some legs too. Um, he's not. You're not going to design runs for him. But you're going to trust that if stuff happens, he can eat up 10 yards with his legs. Like Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers have been elite at that. Mm-hmm. They're not runners, but you give them uh, 20 yards of space, they're going to gash you. And they're going to take that. I think that's the kind Unless of runner Clayton the NFC Tune Championship is. game. Yeah, well, his ankle was shot. Well, well, we won't go there. I we agree. don't need well, that kind of pain today, Dave. All right, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I know, I know, I'm well aware. I almost drank an entire liter of Jägermeister that night. It was it was a rough one. Um, biggest thing here, though, I think Toon's a guy you can develop, but the tough part is you don't really have plus traits, and I, that's kind of a common theme with a lot of these guys. I like him. I don't love him. If he's available at 119, I'll take him, and we'll see what we can do with him. Because if you can get a guy like Kirk Cousins – to develop as a fourth-round guy and eventually be a starting quarterback, I think you could do that with Toon. It just wouldn't excite me. The next guy, the last guy we're going to talk about, Dave, Jaron Hall. That excites me. I love Jaron Hall. I've loved Jaron Hall since um, last September when I watched him in the Holy War against Utah. Now, Hall is older. He is 25. He is a younger 25 than Hendon Hooker, both chronologically – and also play. Hall served a two-year Mormon mission. He went to BYU. You can put two and two together. Um, he served that Mormon mission, and then he arrived on campus in 2018, class of 2016. Okay, and Hall has dealt with some minor injuries, uh, a high ankle sprain. He practiced all week in Mobile with it. He struggled. I talked to him about it, and I asked him, like, you know, I- I've noticed that. 
you're one of the things you're great at at BYU is you could drop the ball in the bucket. But it, notice some of these timing routes. It's just kind of off. Like how hard of an adjustment has that been for you guys since other than Puka Nakua, you have never played with these guys before. He's like, I'll be honest, it, it was a struggle. It was tough to acclimate and to be able to do those kind of things. But we're working on it. We're going to keep improving every day and trying to get better. And he did. But he his plus is his athleticism and his ability to just drop the ball in a bucket. This guy, if you put a bucket 55 yards down the field, he could hit that bucket easily. Hall is just that good at laying it up. Deep ball, fade routes. Like, he's phenomenal at it. He he has He's not perfect in reading the field. Um, he's only six foot and one eighth inch tall, so he's got a little bit of a height concern. He's a little bit shorter than Baker Mayfield for com- for comparables, and but he's he's got a good arm. It's a, I'd say it's a little bit better than Clayton Tune. He can make all the throws. He's played in a pro style offense with real pro style concepts, including Y Leak, which is a, a famous uh, one made famous by Kyle Shanahan. If you remember, there's a, a the game on Thursday night against the Seahawks. Brock Purdy, like, fakes a, a screen to the right, screen to the left, turns around, hits a tight end wide open for a 30-yard touchdown. Jaron Hall has that play on his tape against Oregon. One of the better defenses in college football because it's a Dan Lanning defense. I believe in Hall more than most people. I, I love his ability to do a lot of the little things. He can create outside of structure. He can throw on the run. He can do some of those plus things. He doesn't have the superb arm talent you want, but he doesn't turn the ball over very much. 20 touchdowns, five interceptions in 2021. 31 touchdowns, six interceptions in 2022. And that wide receiver room dealt with a disgusting amount of injuries that really did not help Hall uh, be able to kind of take his game to another level. And I love what he's able to do. I think you can develop him. 25 is old. But it's a younger 25 based on the reasons that I mentioned earlier. If you want more info on Hall, Dave, I did write a piece for Zone Coverage that came out this morning. If you go to zonecoverage.com or you can check out my Twitter feed, you can find them there. I love Jaron Hall. And I'm not afraid to, you know, kind of pound the table for him in the middle rounds. Uh, Brugler likes him too. Says he's a cerebral dual threat passer with above-average control and efficiency in his process. But his average arm talent, short stature, and injury history are potential roadblocks. So, Where does he have him as far as a grade? Third uh, round? Fourth to fifth. I'd say that's fair. Um, I would take this guy starting um, back into the third round, like kind of think like, just past where the Vikings are at. I think like that comp pick range is about where you start. Fringe top 100. Um, I'd feel really comfortable taking him at 119. Um, I, I, I'm i a big, big, big Jaron Hall believer. But it's okay. Like the, tw- the 25 thing, it's a lot different for me in the fourth round than it is in the first round. First round, you better be ready to go if mm-hmm. I'm drafting you at 25 years old. I think Hall's got tools to work with. And at the, at the end of the day, I think the dual threat ability with Hall he makes a good backup. And I think that is where the difference lies, Dave. Could All be. right. Any questions about these guys before we move on to my mock draft and a couple things I want to talk about there? 
They're like like we said at the beginning. These are middle round guys. You're going to have to develop them into something, and you're going to have to hope they fall into that ten percent mm-hmm. range that can be competent. So, whether we find our QB of the future in that that spot, huge question mark, huge. Whether they gamble and do it or not, I mean, you always want to take the chance. Vikings need to draft a quarterback every few years, no matter what. Period if not every other year, just to develop. But we'd love to have that replacement for Kirk Cousins. Even if Kirk please, plays please, this year. Please, please, It'd yes, give us all I want. a little bit of comfort knowing that, hey, the next guy is there. And that's why in my mock draft today, I actually um, explored the idea of the Vikings moving up to three. Because there's a report on Monday that uh, the Cardinals had received offers from or, um, conversations. Sorry. They've had conversations with at least six teams that remained unnamed about the third overall pick. It wouldn't shock me if the Vikings were one of those. Actually, I, w- I would borderline guarantee the Vikings were one of those. But here's the thing, Dave. Conversation could just mean conversation. Mm-hmm. If you're not having a conversation with a potential option, you're doing it wrong. Quasi should be having conversations with all 31 teams about potential moves. That's the general manager's job. That yep. doesn't mean you have to act on those conversations. And I think that's where the difference is. There could be real interest for the Vikings to move up. The Cardinals could just be like, we're not going to 23. And then that's the end of that. Like, the, that's where some of these things are. Now, the trade with the Lions, it came out that the deal was pre-negotiated. So, hey, X player is is off the board, so we're going to make this trade. And... For the Lions, if X players on the board, we want to make this trade. So if both variables are filled, we know the Vikings like Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson was on the board, they would have taken him. I believe the same was about Chris Olave. I have not heard that officially um, confirmed yet. But Jameson Williams is on the board, so they traded him. They mm-hmm. traded the pick. When you look at all those things, like they're pre-negotiated trades. But it yeah, doesn't because, necessarily mean a conversation you want, comes through. You want your GM, like you said, to be doing that, to be lining things up, to asking all the what if questions. What if a player we want falls here? What do I do? Well, we're going to need to move certain people or do certain things. So how can I facilitate that? And there's a possibility of a three-way trade that's happened before. It's rare, but you've got to pre-negotiate those, right? All right. Mm-hmm. Arizona doesn't want the number 23 pick, but if I trade with uh, picking a name off my head, Baltimore, and move up and give them, they want the 23, and then now I'm sitting in their spot, and Arizona's willing to take their spot, and you're doing a three, um, and you're blowing up the computers and smoke's going over. That's cool, too. So, as long as everybody's happy. And you got to know in these trade scenarios, before they're consummated, everybody's got to be happy and cool with it. And, you know, every time we see a trade, somebody is happy there. I mean, on both sides, they think it's best for them. We may not be as fans, but they do. The organizations do. 
Yeah, I agree completely. Um, last thing, though, uh, I did have the Vikings trading up to three. Mm-hmm. Um, and they gave up their first round pick this year, their first round pick in 2024, their first round pick in 2025, and Daniil Hunter. Now, let's have the conversation. That is a lot. It is a lot to go up that far. How are you going to pay for Neil? Well, let's put it this way. I would project that I'm already projecting Zadarius Smith and Dalvin Cook are off this team. If it's trades, if it's trades, it's $20 million in cap relief. Not for Daniel. You can also, no, no, no. By just trading Zadarius Smith and Dalvin Cook. $20 $20 yes. million in cap. No, those guys I get. Daniil Hunter is the problem. Daniil Hunter, no, no, it, 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 hold it on, costs hold on. you more it all, money. It all encompasses, right? So you're at about $1.5 million in cap space right now. You gain 20 by trading Zedari Smith and Dalvin Cook. You lose about six. So you're at about which, 14. The difference which, between pick 23 and pick three is going to be around $4 million. So now you have a surplus that you didn't have before of $10 million in cap space. So you're at about $11 million in cap space after all four of those moves. That's yeah. that's not bad. So I, I think that's kind of where the Daniil Hunter conversation comes into play. You're going to figure it out. If, you, if, if you're talking about this, you already have a plan. We're talking about it, but is... The, the organization no, has hold on, to be hold talking on. about Daniil Hunter some way, some fashion, because there's no way he's playing on his $5 million. But the way the salary cap goes, if we trade him, we we incur like $8 million more or whatever it is. It's going to cost us more to trade him. Either we're negotiating that with a team to take on some of that responsibilities, and teams can do that to offset things. Um, if we traded Kirk Cousins, for example— He's going on a low cap year hit. It only costs the whatever team ten million dollars, I think it is, mm-hmm. and then we suffer, you know, an instant forty eight million dollar cap hit. We can negotiate that they pay part of that, um, whether they do that or not. That pick for money type deal it was it was Houston, I think, was the famous one to do that, and they traded with the Browns or vice versa, and they literally bought out a contract. So they could, uh, they purposely traded for cheap, but it was to keep, uh, um, get rid of some of that cap. The gaining team was going to do that. You would have to do something like that with Daniil Hunter. Uh, his value to another team's obviously high, but every other team knows where he sits and uh, knows what the Vikings have to do on that. Now, you talked about trading Z and Dalvin Cook. There's speculation that those trades are already made um, on paper, that they're already figured out. They're just waiting for things to happen in certain orders, and then they'll execute those. Um, that's why we haven't heard squat from either, you know, on either sides about it, whether the player or the team. They've gone, you know, radio silent. And so it's anticipated that that's going to happen. I don't know about Daniil. But it would take quite a bit to get to that number three spot. Could it be done? Mm-hmm. It absolutely can be done. But and, it's and if Bryce Young is there at three, 
Bryce Young to me is the least attractive of the top three quarterbacks. Which I'd rather one have Strong Richardson. Though the kid from Ohio State. That's CJ Stroud. CJ Stroud. I Stroud is there. Love. You run up there. I do the same thing for Richardson, but Young I have more hesitations about, but I would still be comfortable making the call if he's the last one available and you believe in that guy. Well, I believe in Stroud and Richardson. Mm-hmm. Yes. I believe in Stroud and Richardson more than Young. That's a me thing. Uh, Some guys believe in Young one. more than all those guys. I, oh, I know I'm far from not the only one. The, the top three of this quarterback class is very interesting. Um, but I think Stroud is um, the best. Um, Dennis is, he says, how about the obvious trade out of round one? That most likely, if I was wagering, you know, a fine whiskey, Dennis, I think that's probably what's going to happen in on that Thursday night is we're going to trade out of round one. Mm-hmm. So I, grab I a good think- beverage. And enjoy the night's festivities, but don't be disappointed that the Vikings don't select. I suspect they'll trade down and gather picks. Yeah. But, Dave, that's our show. This awesome. is fun. Um, just a heads up, we will be going live for the foreseeable future every Monday and Wednesday night on this YouTube channel, along with two old bloggers on Saturday afternoons. So, that is something that, that I want you to keep prepared for. Keep those notifications on. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe. And we're also going to be doing more on the podcast side. If you're listening to that on podcast, thank you very much. If you're listening on YouTube right now, please go search Vikings First in School in your podcast aggregator. Click subscribe. We just dropped an episode this morning with J.P. Acosta of SB Nation talking defensive tackles. Tomorrow, we're going to be recording an episode with Vikings Wire's own Kevin Fielder talking about linebackers. There's going to be more. And I will say, because I was able to make it official, next Wednesday, the film room and bootleg football's Brett Coleman will be coming by to talk NFL draft with Dave and I. It is going to be a great time next Wednesday. And I, I am really looking forward to it. Brett is one of the smartest people out there in, in the media sphere when it comes to football and breaking down tape. This is going to be a great episode that you will not want to miss. Sounds awesome. Yes. Um, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Vikings First Skull. Make sure you follow myself on Twitter at The Real Forno. And Dave on Twitter at Luft underscore Krieger. We are excited to continue to bring you the best Vikings coverage in audio form and in written form. All the best is at VikingsWire.com. You're not going to find a more comprehensive draft coverage from any Viking-centric outlet or writer than you will at VikingsWire.com. In the meantime, for Dave, myself, Skull Vikings. Skull Vikings. Like. Subscribe and ring the bell to get notifications. It helps us grow this community that we all love our Minnesota Vikings. And on behalf of Tyler Fornis and myself, Dave Stefano, thank you so dearly for watching The Real Forno Show. Skull, everyone! <laughs>